This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Give us a call, 833-482-5337-8334, Valdez. I'll be getting to your calls probably around, I don't know, about about half hour from now. But I want to start off with some of the headlines uh, of the day. I think the big story that I've been following here uh, is the one about somebody I like to call Funny Willis. That's right. Uh, District Attorney Funny Willis from Georgia. She um, had a misconduct hearing today in uh, what is said to be a politically motivated Georgia election case. And when I say said to be, I'm one of the people saying it for sure. Uh, This was uh, very, very interesting the way it played out. And uh, she got very, very, um, I don't know, touchy, testy. It was definitely one of those things where uh, she didn't like what was going on. So. Too bad for Funny Willis. Now, I want to um, get into some of the audio of Funny Willis and uh, share a little bit about that story because it it was interesting. It really, really was. There was a her, uh, her, her, um, I don't know, what what do you call him? Paramour, boyfriend, lover. I I don't know what to call him. Uh, But Nathan Wade, who she chose to be the, the top prosecutor against Trump, who uh, hadn't ever done a criminal prosecution, uh, he, he was on the uh, stand as well today in their um, in their hearing, and uh, so was Robin. Uh, I think this pronounced Yerdy, 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 spelled Yertai. Uh, anyway, uh, I want to get into that. So this is a very very big big story here. I want to start with uh, cut number seventeen. This is uh, Ka- Carolyn Polisi. She's uh, one of the talking heads, a legal analyst on MSNBC today, saying that this is huge, that this could be game over for Funny Willis. Listen to this. Don't let the legalese fool you. This is epic. This is monumental. If things are going in the direction we think uh, Fonnie Willis lied to the court, it's game over for her. She will be disqualified um, if they had a relationship prior to when they uh, represented to, to the court. It's, it's a huge deal. I, I can't overstate it. Now, isn't it interesting how it's a bigger deal that she was hooking up with this guy before they got involved in the case? then it would be the fact that her brag, 
every last one of these prosecutors was all up in the White House with Joe El Baboso Biden and his friends prior to bringing these cases. Unbelievable that they care about what's going on between the sheets more than they care about what's going on behind the scenes. Fascinating to me. Anyway, we continue. Uh, Now, again, this one is from MSNBC as well. This is uh, Chuck Rosenberg. He's a former federal prosecutor on MSNBC today. And listen to what he had to say. Prosecutors have a higher obligation. It's not personal. It's not egotistical. It's not about you. It's about the office and the pursuit of justice. To your point, uh, it might be appropriate for Ms. Willis to consider removing herself from this case now and turning the reins over to a senior official in the, in the district attorney's office and let him or her handle it. Because this is getting ugly and it's getting messy. And my guess is it's not going to get better. Now, what he's talking about of it getting ugly and getting messy is the testimony that's coming out of these hearings for misconduct. Now, it would be of benefit to uh, Funny Willis, uh, to the Democrats, to the Biden campaign, to everybody that's, you know, kind of um, in the tank here trying to make this thing work against Donald Trump. However, when you have testimony like the uh, the one from her friend who uh, worked with her, Robin Yerty. And I'm sure I'm saying that wrong, but your tea sounds uh, like the way to say it. Um, it doesn't help her at all. Listen to this. When I ask you personal, do you take that to mean romantic? Yes. And do you understand it, that their relationship began in 2019 and continued until the last time you spoke with her? Yes. So you had a chance to see them interact together on a personal level? Yes. Um, And so from everything that you saw, heard, witnessed, um, it's your understanding that they were in a romantic relationship beginning in 2019. Yes. Now, this uh, woman, Miss Yerty, she um, she's given her um, her recollection of this, that this uh, started out um, in 2019. Mr. Wade says, no, 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 no. When I was appointed in 2021, I was not uh, hooking up with Fannie Willis. No, I wasn't. That didn't happen till later. Listen to Nathan Wade on uh, in the uh, hearing today on when his relationship actually started. When did your romantic relationship with Miss Willis begin? 2022. When? In 2022. Early 2022. So you were appointed in November of 2021. Yes, ma'am. And your relationship started early. What's early? January? February? Around March. Around March. Now, that's Mr. Wade, um, again, uh, under oath today, uh, saying that he did, in fact, have a, a romantic relationship with Funny Willis. Now, if that was going on back in November of 2021 or, or March of 2022, should this have even played out the way it did. Well, obviously, when you have the talking heads on CNN, MSNBC, and everybody else saying that this is not going to look good and this may be a disqualification, well, ha, maybe it will be. But um, Mr. Wade goes on because apparently he took these vacations that some are saying are lavish and they were paid for using his business credit card, but then he was reimbursed by Ms. Willis because she really believed in... uh, 
uh, what was it that he said? This women's uh, liberation stuff. Listen to this. You said in the affidavit that you roughly shared travel, though, correct? Yes, ma'am. Okay. So this roughly sharing travel, you're saying she reimbursed you? She did. And where did you deposit the money she reimbursed you? It was cash. She didn't She didn't give me any checks. So she paid you cash for her share of all these vacations? Mr. Schaefer, you'll step out if you do that again. Yes, ma'am. Okay. And so all of the vacations that she took, she paid you cash for? Yes, ma'am. And you purchased all of these vacations on your business credit card, correct? Yes, ma'am. And you included those in deductions on your taxes, correct? No, ma'am. No, you did not. So there you have Nathan Wade, again, the boyfriend of Funny Willis, saying that he was paid in cash by Funny Willis to go on these trips. Listen, I'm not mad at this guy because I wish my girlfriend would pay me to to go on vacation with her. I mean, this is a pretty good deal. And then pay me another, uh, what does he make, $700,000 on this gig that he's got? Listen, doesn't sound like a bad gig to me. Uh, But funny, Willis, things are getting funny. Anyway, I'm going to switch gears quickly. I want to bring in uh, Trump lawyer Jesse Banal. He's part of Donald Trump's legal team. And we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on in New York with the case with Judge Engeron. I also want to get an update from him on what's going on with this uh, emergency appeal that was filed. We've got a court uh, trial date that was set for March. And uh, I want to get his take on all of that. So keep it locked right here. We're going to get the reactions from Funny Willis a little bit later. And uh, straight ahead, Jesse Banal is going to join us. He's Donald Trump's lawyer. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. So instead of being in South Carolina and other states campaigning, I'm stuck here. It's an election interference case. Uh, nobody's ever seen anything like it in this country. It's a disgrace. It's a disgraceful situation, actually, and we'll just have to figure it out. I'll be here during the day, and I'll be campaigning during the night. Biden should be doing the same thing, but he'll be sleeping. This is all from the DOJ. This all comes out of Washington. They're coordinated with the district attorney and the AG. The case tomorrow, which is a rigged deal, is uh, all coordinated with the uh, district attorney, and it's coordinated with the attorney general of New York, Letitia Jane. I want to be ashamed of herself. She's campaigned for years of trying to get Trump without knowing anything about me. It's all a rigged. It's a rigged state. It's a rigged city. It's a shame. Of course, uh, that's the 45th president of the United States, Donald J. Trump, uh, giving his comments uh, outside the courtroom uh, in New York City. 
with respect to the uh, the the fraud trial and uh, everything else that's happening in New York. Crazy, um, crazy things going on there. And the um, judge in uh, New York denied Trump's request to dismiss the charges stemming from uh, Alvin Bragg's investigation into hush money payments. So now they have a trial that's on, on the other case that's going to be uh, starting on March 25th, or at least jury selection starts on March 25th. And uh, Judge uh, Juan Merchant said the trial is expected to last six weeks. So there we have that. Now, I want to get into that because, again, we've got the Alvin Bragg case. You've got the um, the other case that's with uh, Judge Engeron. Uh, there's just so much going on uh, against Trump. It's amazing how he juggles it all and runs a campaign where he's beating people in the polls. But I want to bring in uh, one of his lawyers, Jesse Banal, who's been with us before. He's a wealth of information. He's an excellent uh, attorney, and I'm happy to have him back. Jesse Banal, welcome, sir. Rich, thanks so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to join you. You bet. So uh, help us make sense of this uh, to break through some of the legalese. What's going on here? Well, um, you know, this is, uh, I, I think, you know, President Trump said it best. Uh, we see another instance of uh, uh, election interference uh, mm-hmm. by prosecutors who are far more interested in advancing their political cause than they are in protecting Americans. Um, you know, we, we are, are living in a time right now where violent crime is, you know, the highest that we've seen in, in just decades and decades. Um, and what do they do? Do they try to protect people from carjackings and, and murders and, and rapes out there? No, what they what they've decided to do is they've decided to use their office to go after their political opponents. And the, the real disgusting part is how many judges are willing to go along with them on that. Um, you know, we, we have a, a system that we have been so proud of that is you know, I, one of the, the biggest advancements in civilization where um, you have separation of powers and you have judges that are supposed to hold uh, lawyers to account for this. But at the moment, we have a real crisis of conscience in, uh, in way too many um, of our judicial chambers in America. And, uh, you know, it, and one of the biggest examples of that is judges who refuse to recuse themselves uh, from cases, even if, after it's so clear um, that there is no uh, appearance of, um, of fairness. Um, you know, it's uh, everybody knows that judges, when they go into the courtroom, they can't be biased in, in front of one party or the other. But it's more than that. We expect more than that from our judges. And we know that it's not just for the parties in the courtroom, but it's for the public as well, that there cannot even be um, the appearance of bias. And, you know, that's a, it's a civil right. It's also just the, the right of the of the American public to know that we are having justice dispensed fairly. And you do not have a system that allows for the appearance of impartiality when you have a judge who donated to Joe Biden, who decides he's going to have a six-week criminal trial uh, over a, a nothing case, a, a case that should have never been brought, that's, you know, that is uh, barred by the statute of limitations. Um, there, there's any number of different problems. You know, it's, it's based on conduct that would never be illegal anyhow. Um, but that judge, rather than uh, just recusing him, uh, himself and saying, you know what, regardless of what the, the 
the merits of this case are I'm not the right judge for this case. I've donated to a political candidate in this race. Um, this is uh, an extremely important case. I'm going to let another judge who uh, the parties will know be impartial take it. Um, but instead of doing that, this judge decides that he wants this case so badly that he is going to put the entire system of American justice uh, uh, at stake for for the sake really of, of his own ego and his own um, his own political agenda. And that is a very, very sad day in America when that happens. Um, and uh, so, you know, we're going to see how things go for this case. But the one thing I think all Americans know is that this case is not about the law. This case is, is not uh, uh, certainly not about law and order. It's about advancing a political narrative and interfering in the 2024 presidential election. You know, Jesse Benal, I, I agree with uh, so much of what you're saying, and I think it's so um, it, it's uh, it's sad that we've arrived at this place where for for political power, for um, whatever. I think it's really ultimately about political power. It's not really about yeah. I don't like Trump's personality or I don't like Trump or I don't like his hair. Uh, all of that, I think, really comes down to he was just demonized by the media and by the left and his opponents. And um, they, they made a caricature out of him in order to to try to justify the hatred that they spew in order for them to maintain their political power. Because I think he threatened that political power uh, because he brings yes. something that very few politicians have really ever brought to the table, which is the power of the people. Right. And I think uh, it's evident every day. Trump doesn't have anything. Right. He doesn't have an office to hold on to. He's yeah. not in office. He's not a prosecutor. He doesn't wield any power but that of we the people that actually have his back. And I think that scares a lot of people. And if that scares them, at least threatens their sensibilities in a way that it makes them feel like, um, you know, we're not in power anymore. So, yeah, Rich. Said, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yep. Yeah, no. And and I think there's something that's really important to remember is this is the first president in American history where this is his first government job when he was president. Right. Um, he is he is not beholden to permanent Washington, D.C., these bureaucrats and the people that say this is the way things always have been and always will be. And you know what? It doesn't matter what the American people want because we, the bureaucrats, we know what's best for you. So just shut up and listen to us. And whether you're a Republican or whether you're a Democrat, just, you know, you, you can have your little issues here and there. But just shut up. The bureaucrats are going to run the show. And for years and decades into a certain extent, centuries, that is what has happened until Donald Trump arrived on the scene. And, you know, you're exactly right. He wasn't beholden to them. He was there to empower the American people. And he still is today. And that's why the American people are you know, just dying to, to get back to the ballot box uh, to vote for him, to, to get him uh, back in the White House. Folks, stick with us. We're on with Jesse Bennell, uh, one of Trump's attorneys. And uh, we're going to talk about this Judge Angeron case next and find out what's going on. They've been leaking to the media saying uh, they're expected to have some big news coming this Friday. That's tomorrow. So we're going to find out a little bit about that as well. Stick with me. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. 
Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. America at Night with Rich Valdez. It's a rigged state. It's a rigged city. It's a shame. They ought to, what they ought to do is go out and take care of the violent crime and the migrant crime that's destroying people and killing people. Not a case that everybody says, you take a look at the legal documents and the legal scholars writing about this. They say there's no crime. This is no crime. But outside, right outside their courthouse, this courthouse, people are being murdered. So it's a very unfair situation. They want to keep me nice and busy so I can't campaign so hard. But maybe we won't have to campaign so hard because the other side is incompetent. The other side's done a horrible job running this country. They've done a horrible job at the border. You take a look at New York with the hundreds of thousands of people pouring in from other countries all over the world. You just take a look at what's happening. And I'm going to have to sit here for months on a trial. I think it's ridiculous. It's unfair. A trial that legal scholars say there's no crime. They say there's no crime. All right. That again is uh, former President Trump um, outside a New York City courtroom uh, today discussing um, his upcoming trial and the previous trial that he sat through with Judge Arthur Engeron, uh, who presided over the $370 million civil fraud case. Uh, He says, or he's leaked to the media, it seems to me, that they are anticipating a verdict being issued, um, I believe, tomorrow. Um, I want to get the scoop from Jesse Bunnell, uh, attorney to President Trump, Jesse Bunnell, when you have you heard these leaks in the media? Do you think there's a verdict coming tomorrow? And how do you think it's going to end up? Well, I mean, who knows when it's it's going to come? You know, it's there. Certainly, are suggestions it's coming tomorrow. Um, whenever it does come, I, when I talk about the crisis of conscience in these judicial chambers, I think Judge Angeron's chambers is is probably. Uh, uh, first and foremost, uh, what I'm talking about there, uh, this, mm-hmm. this again is a judge who, um, you know, New York actually has a system for handling cases that, um, are, are uh, part of complex commercial, uh, uh, litigation, uh, because New York, uh, of course, is, you know, the money center of the world, um, knows that they have some very, very complex commercial issues. 
And so Judge Engeron is not one of those judges. He's not part of the of the commercial division of that court. And he should have transferred it to that division who actually understands um, uh, the the issues in, involved. And he certainly should have recused himself because, you know, again, one of the things you absolutely do not do as a judge is you do not discuss your cases outside of a courtroom. And this is a judge who not only does he do that, um, but he actually wrote about it in his high school alumni newsletter, <laughs> bragging about the fact that he was presiding over this case. And effectively, you know, let's let's just you know, be clear, bragging about the fact that he was going to stick it to Donald Trump. Um, and uh, it's, it is just absolutely inappropriate um, for a for a judge to do that. Uh, and so, you know, he's already in her summary judgment. Uh, we can see from, you know, both the fact that he was hamming it up to the camera when there was, you know, cameras oh, in that yeah. courtroom. Um, just uh, again, a, a disgusting display, uh, uh, just spitting in the face of everything that, that the judiciary has been not only through our entire history in America, but going back in, into the common law, uh, you know, for centuries. And, um, and uh, this, this judge is, you know, he, I think he sees this as, as his 15 minutes of, of fame, really. And, uh, you know, he's he's going to do everything he can, even though I, you know, I'm I think that the chances of, of it uh, withstanding appellate review are, are nothing because, um, you know, there's there's been fraud here. Uh, there was no misrepresentations. There was, um, you know, no reliance by banks. Uh, you know, for everything that we've heard so often, this is just another example of Letitia James who campaigned on running for a law enforcement job, attorney general, on prosecuting and going after a political opponent, um, you know, something that you might expect to see in Venezuela and, you know, third world countries, but something that I, I never thought I'd see in the United States of America. And and that's what we're we're looking at in in New York. So you know I'm not exactly holding my breath for what we're getting from this judge because you know the the simple fact is this uh, I I don't think anybody left or right um, thinks this was a impartial tribunal. Um, right. People on the left they, they might be excited by that. They might really like that that they, you know here's a judge that's going to go after uh, Donald Trump and and uh, you know people on the on the right and, and I think fair Americans see how dangerous this this is. But nobody thinks it's fair. Now, Jesse, Benal, I, I agree with you. And I, I think this is the same judge. And I can't hold any judge, whether it's Clarence Thomas or anybody else, uh, to uh, account for what their spouse says or does. But I believe this yeah. guy's spouse said something like F Donald Trump or something on her social media. And I just thought that was very uncouth, uh, to say the least. Now, I want yeah. to uh, ask a question about um, it seems like they're, they're trying to nail Trump here on this one. Uh, but I want to get your take on the uh, emergency um, intervention that was filed for for the um, Supreme Court uh, with respect to the presidential immunity case. Uh, I've heard a few different opinions on that. Where do you land? Um, I, I mean, it's it's an important issue. I, I think this is an extremely important constitutional issue. Um, both has to do with uh, separation of powers um, and you know, we, we talk about separation of powers a lot. Uh, you know, uh, Justice Scalia used to like read this this beautiful prose of a Bill of Rights and about how much this country protected the the Bill of Rights. And the country's Bill of Rights he was reading from was the Soviet Union's. Um, hmm. And then he would point out that you can say anything you want in the Bill of Rights; it means nothing unless you have separation of powers. 
And so I think the uh, the Constitution is so important when it comes to separation of powers um, and w- whether another branch of government um, uh, can attempt to you know criminally hold a president liable um, when we actually have an impeachment process uh, in this country. We have a system laid out for for accountability. And this is, this is, you know, against that process because here we, we actually did have, you know, the partisan Democrats try to impeach president Trump. Um, uh, and, and he was vindicated. He was acquitted in the United States Senate. And yet they have decided to keep going after him. So the separation of powers issues are so important that, um, I certainly, uh, I, I think it would be appropriate for the Supreme court to take it. I'm not going to ever guess, uh, what the Supreme Court is going to do in advance, um, I think they will will take the petition very seriously, um, and uh, and we'll see where they they land. But I, I think it is an appropriate case, and it's an extremely important case for our Constitution. All right, Jesse Bennell. Um, now let everybody know how they can uh, follow you, keep up to speed with all the work that you're doing. I know you're on the front lines, both uh, educating the public uh, through the media as well as uh, your work as an attorney. How do people uh, keep in touch with you? Well, yeah, I've uh, always loved staying in, in touch with people. You know, our website is www.banal.com. That's B-I-N-N-A-L-L.com. And I'm at jbanal on um, on Truth Social, on, on Twitter, on Instagram. And people can always uh, come follow me there. All right, folks, that's Jesse Banal, attorney uh, for President Donald Trump. Uh, Godspeed to you, sir. You're a gentleman, a patriot, and a scholar, and I appreciate you staying up late and visiting with us yet again. Always a pleasure, Rich. Thanks for having me. You bet, sir. All right, folks, we're coming back with your calls more, and we're going to dive back into the testimony today given by Funny Willis, the uh, DA in Georgia, who's uh, in the hot seat. Uh, She's trying to, another prosecutor yet, trying to bring it to Trump, and it seems uh, she doesn't have her own affairs in order. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America, welcome back. Rich Valdez keeping you company straight till 1 o'clock Eastern time, 1 a.m. And, of course, our phone number, if you want to join the conversation, is 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Now, we're talking about uh, District Attorney Funny Willis from Georgia. She was in the hot seat today in Atlanta. And she's prosecuting former President Trump on charges of attempting to overturn the 2020 election and charge him with a RICO crime. And she was going at it. The the verbal sparring was going on in the courtroom uh, for for hours today as she was in the hot seat. At one point, uh, the presiding judge, Scott McAfee, called a five-minute recess to apparently let tempers cool down a bit. And at another point, he had to rebuke her and, you know, tell her to chill a little bit. Uh, When court was back in session, he told lawyers to stop talking over each other and cautioned Willis, saying, we have to listen to the questions as asked. 
If this happens again and again, I'm going to have no choice but to strike your testimony. Ooh. Anyway, I want you to hear this. Uh, I know our time is limited in this hour, but I want to make sure that you're able to hear some of the testimony that we've got. We've got some doozies here. So we've got Funny Willis, and they're all, you know, about a minute and a half long. And she comes out hostile. She's very angry uh, to um, Ashley Merchant. uh, And she says, you lied. You are dishonest. Listen to this. And I've been very anxious to have this conversation with them today. So I ran to the courtroom. So as soon as um, you heard that Mr. Wade was done testifying, that's when you just assumed you would be the next witness? It only makes sense. Um, did you listen to any of the testimony? And in my office pacing, ma'am. Okay. Um, did you listen to any of the arguments? I did hear the, the arguments this morning. It's ridiculous to me that the, you lied on Monday, and yet here we still are. And I did listen to that argument. Um, um, all right, so that was it, just the argument, no testimony. All right, I listened to the argument this morning where Adam Abadi, I thought, did an excellent job pointing out how dishonest you were with the court on Monday. And um, I'm actually surprised that the hearing continued. But since it did, here I am. Great. Um, so let's talk about, first, let's just talk about what you did in preparation for today. Um, did you meet with Mr. Wade at all? Once the, mo- once the motion was filed, did you meet with Mr. Wade and talk to him about the motion that I filed to disqualify you. On January, this first January motion? Yes. I don't know if you could say talked about. Um, I probably had some choice words about some of the things that you said that were dishonest within this motion. So I don't know that it was a conversation. As you know, Mr. Wade is a Southern gentleman. I mean, not so much. Okay, but my question was, did you have a conversation with him? I didn't him? have a substantive conversation. You did not? I read this motion. Skimmed it more up, so, and um, I've probably said some choice things to him about some of the lies they were told. Okay. And been printed in the media because, you know, we used to be in a day and time where you had 60 minutes and people did stories and they verified information um, and you had this great reporting. But it seems today that a lawyer writes a lie and then it's printed for all of the world to see. All right, so you can see the temperatures are starting to flare. It's kind of starting to bubble up, but it gets better. But wait, there's more. Funny Willis comes out swinging because she thinks that um, the uh, opposing attorneys are being dishonest. You lied, right? That's what she said. And then uh, then she um, she continues to uh, to even snap at the judge, saying she's offended that she was even asked if... She slept with Mr. Wade. Now, interestingly, the misconduct that she's on trial for here, if you will, is exactly that. Did you have an inappropriate sexual or romantic relationship with this man and put him in charge of everything? And is that what's guiding this thing? That's misconduct, right? That's what they're trying to uncover here. Yet she's um, she's not having it. Listen to Funny Willis on this one. Let's start back in 2019. Yep. So um, you and Mr. Wade met in October 2019 at a conference? That is correct. And I think in one of your motions, you tried to implicate I slept with him at that conference, which I find to be extremely offensive. I stayed at that conference. Mr. Wade was my teacher. I did not meet him when he taught the class. I was standing outside talking to Lisa Reeves, who is a judge. Me and her were just having a conversation. Mr. Wade walks up, 
I think they hug each other. They have some brief conversation. She introduces us. Your Honor, I'm, I'm going to object. We kind of thought that when you ask a question, you can answer the question, not a speech. So I object to the speech. I agree. I'm able to explain my answers. I believe she's able to explain her answers. Ms. Merchant, that's okay. I can handle it. Ms. Willis, I'll ask you just listen to the answer, or excuse me, the question and keep the answers confined to the question as best you can. I think you'll have more than enough ample opportunity on uh, when the state is well, able to It's highly offensive when someone lies on you, and it's highly offensive when they it's try right. to implicate that you slept with somebody the first day you met with them, and I take exception to it. All right. Well, Ms. Willis, you'll be, have the opportunity to explain all of that when it's the state's turn to ask more open-ended questions. Ms. Willis continues to get hot under the collar. As uh, she continues uh, with ultimately uh, her them saying you're being a hostile witness, funny Willis, listen to this. Um, so again, my question was: you all met at that conference, though, right? We did the meeting. Okay. He, as I stated, he taught the class. I did not actually meet him when he taught the class. I walked out of the class, and I'm not sure if it was that exact class or we had went to lunch, but we were standing in the vestibule, like outside of the class. Me and Judge Reeves were having a conversation. She had worked at a law firm I worked at back in 1996. We're getting way afar. I mean, I don't mind her explaining her answers, but I literally just asked if they met at that conference. She's explaining how she met Mr. Wade, which was exactly the question asked by Ms. Merchant. It was These answers are more than appropriate. Um, Ms. Merchant, if you want more concise answers, perhaps you could lead the witness. I will. Thank you, Judge. Um, isn't it true that you met Mr. Wade in October 2019 at Judge's conference? He hasn't gotten to the point where Ms. Willis should be treated hostile I think we well, I very much everybody. want to be here, so I'm not a hostile witness. I very much want to be not here. Not so much that you're hostile, Ms. Willis. It'd be an adverse witness. Your interests are opposed to Ms. Merchant's. Thank Ms. You. Merchant's interests are, per- are contra- contrary to democracy, Your Honor, not to mine. Keep things moving. Ms. Merchant, Thank next question, please. Um, okay, so we've confirmed when you met. Um, after that, isn't it true? No, I, I need to explain this, and I think I get to explain my answers. When I met him, Judge Reeves introduced us. He handed me his business card. I'm unsure if I handed him my business card, but we exchanged information. He said, if you ever need any help, give me a call. And he walked to the parking lot. All right, again, and that is uh, Ashley Merchant going at it with D.A. Uh, Funny Willis in Georgia. And again, Ashley Merchant's the lawyer representing Michael Roman, a former uh, campaign official for former President Donald J. Trump and a co-defendant in this in, in this trial. So um, we will uh, continue. We're going to go back to, uh, to to some of what Funny Willis had to say. Uh, plus, we're going to get into this big threat of Russia. Russia says they're putting nukes in outer space. We're going to talk with a veteran of the Space Force. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel will be joining us in a little bit. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Where, um, when did he come to, I guess, the condo? I'm not sure what you called it, condo apartment. Um, would he come and stay at that condo or visit you there? I'm sorry, visit you there. 
what condo, what apartment. I want to be clear. So not your house. I know you classified one as house and one as condo. So I'm trying to use those terms. So um, there's been more. That, see, what you don't understand is because of this case, I got to move. And so I. I question, need to, if you could ask a more precise question. Yes, please. Give me the time period. Mr. Wayne visits you at the place you laid your head. When? Has he ever visited you at the place you laid your head? So let's be clear because you've lied in this, this. Let me tell you which one you lied in right here. I think you lied right here. No, 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 no. This is the truth. Judge, and this, it, it, it is a lie. It is a lie. Mr. Stano, thank you. We're going to take five minutes. All right. Again, uh, D.A. Funny Willis uh, doesn't like it when people malign her character, kind of like she's doing to Donald Trump. And uh, when he fights back, right, then he's a bad guy. All of a sudden, uh, I think she's getting a taste of her own medicine. And, you know, I know it's difficult for her because she's an officer of the court and she's held to a higher standard being a prosecutor. And there's a rules of decorum and whatnot. And it seems like she was not observing those rules. You know, she seemed like she was really losing it today. So. Funny Willis doesn't look like you won today. I would not be surprised if in the coming days they say that you're not on this case anymore. But we'll see. I'm not making any predictions yet. We got more clips of Funny Willis and her testimony today in that trial um, getting um, direct examined by Ashley Merchant. And we'll continue those uh, in a little bit. But first, I want to switch gears, talk about the threat of Russia putting nukes in outer space. Don't go anywhere, folks. We're coming right back. I'm Rich Valdez. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Happy to be here with you this Thursday evening. Our telephone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And I want to get into a couple of things that are going on today. Of course, uh, we heard about the testimony of D.A. Funny Willis from Georgia. Uh, that was interesting, and we still have plenty more of that to come after the bottom of the hour tonight. Uh, we also um, hear about the bickering that continues between the special counsel, Rob, uh, what's his name, her, and uh, her, H-U-R, and, um, and President Biden are kind of still trading barbs there over his memory. And we also have uh, yesterday the Pentagon spokesperson, uh, actually National Security uh, Advisor Jake Sullivan, 
making uh, some comments about that were very ambiguous, saying, I'm not sure if Russia is is an active threat against the United States or not. And then we have today in a White House press briefing, um, you've got um, Admiral, former Admiral John Kirby uh, going out on a limb saying, no, there is no threat from Russian anti-satellite uh, capabilities in outer space. And uh, I want you to hear that. Listen to this. I know that Chairman Turner's letter to House members and his subsequent post on social media about a national security threat has prompted a lot of questions. While I am limited by how much I can share about the specific nature of the threat, I can confirm that it is related to an anti-satellite capability that Russia is developing. I want to be clear about a couple of things right off the bat. First, this is not an active capability that's been deployed. And though Russia's pursuit of this particular capability is troubling, there is no immediate threat to anyone's safety. We are not talking about a weapon that can be used to attack human beings or cause physical destruction here on Earth. That said, we've been closely monitoring this Russian activity, and we will continue to take it very seriously. President Biden has been kept fully informed and regularly informed by his national security team, including today. He has directed a series of initial actions, including additional briefings to congressional leaders, direct diplomatic engagement with Russia, with our allies and our partners as well, and with other countries around the world who have interests at stake. Now, to get to the bottom of this, I want to get some analysis from somebody who understands uh, understands this better than I do, and that's Matthew Lohmeyer. He's uh, a veteran of the United States Space Force. He's actually the first veteran of the U.S. Space Force. I believe he retired at the rank of lieutenant colonel. And he's also the author of a book called Irresistible Revolution. Uh, Excuse me. Irresistible Revolution, Marxism's Goal of Conquest and the Unmaking of the American Military. Matthew Lohmeyer, welcome to the program, sir. Hey, thanks, Rich, for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. So I want to get into I want I want to get into your book. But before that, I want to get into your reaction to to Jake uh, Sullivan's comments yesterday and, of course, what we heard now from Admiral mm-hmm. Kirby saying that, you know, we're monitoring this, but we don't think there's any threat. But meanwhile, Republicans are, you know, losing losing uh, sleep over here, saying that this is a, a major threat. And um, what say you? There's a lot of things to say about this. We could spend the evening on this topic. Uh, I know we won't be, so let me try and be succinct. Um, there's conflicting reports, uh, as people who have been paying attention will recognize in the past 24 hours. Part of the reason for that is that those capabilities in space are highly classified. And this came to the American people uh, from Rep. Mike, Mike Turner, Republican from Ohio, and then via social media and the mainstream media networks. And you've got these spokespeople telling you that there's this threat, but oh, it's not going to threaten you on the ground. So I want to clear up just a couple of things. First off, Russia is one of the great peer competitors to the United States. And like the United States and like China, Russia has been developing space-based on-orbit satellites and weapons and anti-satellite weapons for a very long time, for a number of years. It shouldn't surprise any uh, 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 member of Congress who uh, get these classified briefings that Russia has been involved in anti-satellite weapons development for many, many years. So it's really interesting to me that um, they've they've couched it in terms of new intelligence about some imminent threat or emergent threat 
just to have them talk us down from that ledge and say that, in fact, it's not imminent. No, by the way, it's not going to hurt anybody on the ground. In fact, most of the weapons that are deployed in space aren't intended to hurt, per se, someone on the ground. There's not really conflict in space, per se. There's such a thing as war. And we uh, wage warfare from various media or uh, various domains, as we call them in the, in the warfighting community. There's an air domain, there's a, a sea domain, a land domain. And now there's a, uh, a highly contested space domain. But all of those domains are employed uh, to, or I should say, we, we employ and deploy weapons in all of those domains to, to pursue uh, certain policy aims. And that's what war is. Matthew Lohmeyer, uh, I want to get your your take on this uh, because uh, I think you you answered the question really well. And in the space domain, what what is the harm that's inflicted when war is waged? If it's not to hurt Mm -hmm. people, is it to diminish one's capability to communicate, to diminish one's ability to, to have satellites? What does it look like? Well, we're, we're, as a modern society, uh, any modern society, any what you might consider uh, stereotypically as a first world society or country, you are utterly dependent on uh, space and cyberspace for uh, basically virtually everything that you do in your day-to-day lives. Uh, that, mm-hmm. From using the GPS on your phones uh, to the GPS and communication signals that enable your, your business transactions, your purchases at the grocery store, uh, getting gas in your vehicles. Uh, farmers are using this uh, technology. It's all space-enabled and space-based and cyberspace-enabled. Uh, we do space-based missile warning um, in addition to our ground-based radar sites. And so there are certain uh, threats that these great competitors pose to one another in the form of intercontinental ballistic missiles, uh, even more serious threats like hypersonic glide vehicles that have been talked about in the past couple of years, which is also an emerging technology and threat that wow. Russia has been developing. And we have a, a space-based missile warning capability, for example, and missile defense capability that we employ to defend uh, our our country against those kinds of attacks that that that. Um, are transmedium threats. They leave the ground, they go up through the air domain, or they leave the sea and go through the air domain, and then up into space, and then back down on our heads in whatever country uh, you live in. And so when you've got anti-satellite weapons that are being developed, uh, probably first and foremost, what what they're talking about is that they're deploying things in, in space that they hope can counter other space assets. You know, there, there's things that the uh, U.S. Space Force has come out and been, been public about that had formerly been classified. I mean, there are weapons in space that don't, you know, when, when humans think of weapons, they're thinking of the, the, the guns that they're able to hold in their hands. And, uh, and when you think in terms of space weapons, you don't have to think in terms of guns necessarily. In fact, it's as, um, it can be anything as uh, simple degrading another satellite's capability. And there's a number of ways you can do that. Uh, it can be destroying another satellite's capability. Uh, mm. And satellites are very fragile uh, uh, orchestration of machinery. You can, you can blind satellites, you can jam them, you can shake them. And uh, you know anything that you can really imagine is something that someone else before you has imagined in the past half century and has been trying to figure out how to, how to deploy in space in order to both um, 
perform as weapons, so to speak, and defend against uh, weapons. Folks, we're on with uh, retired Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Lohmeyer from the U.S. Space Force. He's also the author of uh, the book, you got to listen to this, Irresistible Revolution, uh, Marxism's Goal of Conquest and the Unmaking of the American Military. I promise I'll get that right next go-round. We're going to talk about that as we uh, continue to unpack the um, warning from uh, a Republican member um, saying there is a national security threat and it has to do with Russia and a nuke warning in outer space. So uh, we're breaking that down. You're with us. The phone number is 833-4825-337-8334. Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. night. This is Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back, amigos. We are having our discussion with Lieutenant Colonel, Space Force Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Lohmeyer. He's the author of the book Irresistible Revolution. And I want to, um, I would like for you to unpack the the title a little bit because uh, you're saying a lot there what what inspired you to write the book and and give it that namesake uh, the main title irresistible revolution it comes from one of the founders of the black lives matter movement who uh, by the way and it's it always um, deserves saying is uh, and a Marxist organization. Yeah. Its founders and co-founders are admittedly uh, Marxist organizers, and uh, they have, therefore, very specific aims. And Future Khan, as uh, she goes by, has uh, this phrase um, or this um, aim, I suppose, that that is couched in a a catchy phrase. And uh, she says that the role of the artist is to make the revolution irresistible. Uh, and so you you pick a name and you pick a slogan like Black Lives Matter, and no decent human wants to deny that, of course. And so you make and, and that that's the first step in making your revolutionary cause something that can be foisted upon other humans and guilt them into accepting uh, the, your, the purposes of, of your revolution. Uh, but my book isn't just about the Black Lives Matter movement. It, it makes uh, you know brief appearance in there as I talk about current manifestations of cultural Marxism. Uh, but the, the purpose of the book really was to warn the American people and our senior military leaders about the overt politicization of the military workplace that um, I recognized and now many people recognize as having Marxist roots. It's a very progressive 
It's, uh, it comes in the form of critical race theory infused diversity, equity, and inclusion trainings that our troops are subjected to. It's dividing the troops. It's pitting opp- oppressed people versus oppressors. Uh, at least that's the language that they use. And, um, and it undermines good order and discipline. It's uh, a distraction at least and very destructive at worst. And uh, we've had that in full force during this administration. Uh, in the form of policy and under Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin. And so I wrote that book to warn folks about where where this is all headed if we don't abandon the diversity and inclusion trainings in the military and bring up specific examples in my book of um, of what was going on. Now, many people are talking about that, uh, and it's no mystery to people who have been paying attention that, that overt politics is a really big problem in the military workplace today and in all federal agencies, quite frankly. Lieutenant Colonel Lohmeyer, do you think that anybody's listening to the warning that you've put out in the book? At least those in Washington. Yes, uh, yes. many people in the services um, are listening, either have um, read the book. Uh, I've, I've had so many hundreds of people in the past two years who are both on active duty and who have chosen to get out or who have been kicked out in the last couple of years, Uh, but veterans, parents who are very concerned, they're learning about the issues we're facing. I've got people sharing documents and information with me about what's happening uh, at their bases, asking for help, and I relay some of that information to various nonprofits and to members of Congress. I just testified in Congress a couple of weeks ago uh, and was invited to come in to the National Defense Subcommittee of the House Oversight Committee to talk about progressive ideologies' influence in the military workplace. I'm going to give you just one quick example. Sure. I had a uh, an office, uh, officer at Nellis Air Force Base reach out this past year. It comes to mind because it was such um, a desperate plea for help. And he said, look, my family has to live at the space. Uh, it's, it's Pride Month. They're conducting uh, family-friendly drag shows on this base, and there are flyers going up all over the base at the commissary at the BX. And I've got kids I'm walking hand-in-hand uh, hand with into these, uh, these buildings on base, and I am, we're just smothered by this stuff. We're smothered by the claims of systemic racism. We're smothered by claims that uh, whites are oppressors of an oppressed black people still. And anyone who serves in uniform knows that's utter nonsense in today's military. People don't care about that kind of thing. They're interested in doing a mission. And so he, he reached out saying, hey, can you please help us? Uh, Pride Month is starting. We're having these drag shows. We reached out. I put it on X, actually, Twitter at the time. And uh, we, we put out a desperate plea for help. Uh, and then I placed uh, direct emails to members of Congress and within, I think it was probably a week, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin was issuing a memorandum to every branch of the military saying that he no longer was going to authorize drag shows to be uh, taking place at any place on any installation um, nice. of the United States military. So it was a small win, small win, and they go have the drag shows elsewhere. But the point was, you know, people are starting to recognize we've got big problems. They're, they're crying out for help. And in many cases, unfortunately, it's disincentivized people beyond all repair. And so they leave the service or they choose not to ever sign up for military service because they've been seeing something that is rather unappealing, hyper-political, and uh, all they ever wanted to do is serve um, faithfully their country and uh, and serve an oath to the Constitution. And and they don't feel like they're able to do that anymore with the, the political nature 
of these trainings and of the current administration. Folks, we are on with uh, Matthew Lohmeyer. He is the first veteran of the United States Space Force. Uh, he is a retired lieutenant colonel and the author of Irresistible Revolution, Marxism's Goal of Conquest and the Unmaking of the American Military. And I don't want to shortchange you, uh, Colonel, because I know that there's a three-part f- framework that you've used to put the book together, and yeah. I would like to get your take on it, but we're down to a minute. So a uh, little bit of pressure <laughs> for you, but I'm sure you're used to it. Can you stick around for another I couple of minutes? Awesome. So, folks, we're going to come back uh, and, and um, wrap up with uh, Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Lohmeyer, author of this book. And in the meantime, write the name down, because I want you to get a copy of this for yourself and one as a gift, Irresistible Revolution. That's the book. Make sure you get a copy of it. Again, the subtitle, Marxism's Goal of Conquest and the Unmaking of the American Military. And when we come back, we'll continue this discussion and wrap it up. Of course, uh, the phone number, if you want to join the program, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. We're just getting started. I'm Rich Valdez. House Intelligence Committee, uh, Turner, Committee Chairman Mike Turner, uh, sounded the alarm on what uh, he said was um, a national security threat from Russia. Um, Jake Sullivan and Admiral Kirby say, look, 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 it's not any type of eminent threat, yada, yada, yada. And uh, we get into this conversation with Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Lohmeyer. And uh kind of says the same, that you know, don't sleep on Russia, but again, they've been doing this for a long time. And it opens up the conversation into his book. And again, the book, which has a three-part framework that we're going to discuss now, is Irresistible Revolution, Marxism's Goal of Conquest and the Unmaking of the American Military. How the cultural Marxists among us are usurping the authority of the military and therefore undermining the, uh, the potential uh, of our country. And it's a serious problem and one that I'm, I'm glad that Matthew Lohmeyer is sounding the alarm on, and I'm glad people are taking heed to it because I think oftentimes there are people out there banging the pots and pans and there's not enough people listening. Uh, too often you've got types like the, the um, DOD Secretary Lloyd Austin, and others that will just continue along the road that they're on. So, Matthew Lohmeyer, uh, Lieutenant Colonel, I want to thank you for sticking around for an extra, an extra inning here with us. And I want to, uh, I want you to take your time and explain the, the the three part framework of your book, and uh, and really give everybody listening an opportunity to to really get the message that you're trying to put out there. Great. Well, because you've given me an extra inning, I'm going to take just 30 extra seconds on the front end of that to say one thing, 
and sure. it's about this uh, so-called emergent space threat. Uh, and as you pointed out, um, Russia and our competitors, uh, Russia and China in space in particular, have been developing uh, anti-satellite weapons for a very long time. The U.S. has been the premier space power uh, until very recently. I think we still are. But Russia and China have a powerful uh, set of space capabilities. Whether we as American citizens want to admit this or not, far too many people in the current administration here believe we are currently at war with Russia. And so I'm going to call this war something different than we, we normally refer to this as the Russia-Ukraine war. I'm going to refer to it from now on as the NATO-Russia war in Ukraine. The United States is, is helping lead that effort. And so I just want to suggest, as my opinion, and suggest the possibility that because these space threats are likely not new, and there is genuinely no immediate threat to us on the ground, it seems, you have to ask yourself the question, why are they wanting to talk about that threat publicly right now? What is the purpose of the announcement? And is the timing coincidence? And if you're at war, deception is key and propaganda is key, even more so than it is in peacetime in this or any regime. And so I want to point that out and just ask sure. those questions, and then I can move on to my book. So as far as the book goes, I'll be succinct and say that there is a three-part structure to the book. Part three is the reason I wrote the book. I had no ambition to write a book. I was happily commanding a space-based missile warning unit in our Space Force. But part three is about, it's, it's about the wrath to come, is, is what it's really all about. It's a warning about the violent ambitions of the Marxist revolutionary cause. And I want to make the clear case in the book and conclude in part three uh, to, to, have, to have the reader come away with the unmistaking, uh, unmistaking conclusion uh, that there is a Marxist revolutionary effort that is underway in this country, and unfortunately within the United States military, both wittingly and unwittingly. In order to get to part three, I knew I had to write a part two, which would trace the Marxist ideological roots of critical race theory, and then all of its various uh, offspring and branches uh, that we sometimes colloquially refer to as social justice activism, including things like the Black Lives Matter movement. I traced through all of that in part two. I recognized, and this is how I'll wrap up that, you know, the, the description of my book. I recognized after I, I wrote about uh, all four parts of the Communist Manifesto and traced through what it is exactly that I wanted to talk about with the Marxist um, ideology, that the young 18, 19, and 20-year-old service member might read that and think, okay, so what? Like, that's not all that bad, is it? And, and I thought we've lost our bearings on the greatness of the American ideal. And so I knew that I had to contrast the ugliness of Marxist ideology that I was trying to convey with the beauty and um, uh, the um, enduring nature of the principles that shaped our great country. And so part one of the book is, as succinctly as I could, my description of the greatness of the American ideal, uh, the efforts that are currently underway to demonize the founders, uh, the founding, the Constitution, etc., and then get into Marxist ideology and, and make it um, make the clear case that it stands in contradistinction to the American ideal. And then I trace through a whole bunch of examples. I don't attribute these examples, but I, I trace through a bunch of real-world examples of what I was seeing as a commander at a military installation of Marxist-linked uh, 
uh, rhetoric of anti-American rhetoric, and it was even unfortunately coming out of some of the mouths of our senior military leaders themselves. And again, I'm willing to give people the benefit of the doubt and say, look, some of these people just don't know what they're talking about, and they buy into a party line. Unfortunately, some of them also do know what they're talking about and very much uh, believe in a highly progressive anti-American um, rhetoric, and uh, it's wrecking uh, and dividing our military force right now. Extremely well put, sir. Folks, again, get a copy of the book for yourself. Get one to uh, give away as a gift. I think this is something everybody needs to learn about and read. Uh, the book, again, is Irresistible Revolution, Marxism's Goal of Conquest and the Unmaking of the American Military. Now, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Lohmeyer, United States Space Force, retired. Um, you prefaced this segment with some rhetorical questions, and and I think they're 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 Good questions, very poignant questions. Uh, why sound the alarm now? What is the purpose? And a cynic from talk radio like me would say, well, when you've got the Senate trying to give out $95 billion of the mother's milk of politics uh, to, to Ukraine yet again, and they seem very adamant and very desperate to give this money away, uh, it makes sense to me that we would again try and... Um, create this image that there's this imminent threat and this is why we have to have all this money to support ukraine so we could fight that war over there but i don't know i i don't know if i'm onto something with that what do you think you are onto something and this comes on the heels of tucker's interview with interview with putin as well and um and i i can't um say i know that it's motivated by what you suggest but it's probable and um uh, again, getting at the truth of matters is a difficult enough um, endeavor in peacetime anymore in, in the modern world, let alone wartime. Wartime uh, states thrive in, and it's a part necessarily so, of their strategy to deceive people and to propagandize and to build a rhetorical case against the enemy. And the Biden regime and Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin and all of our NATO allies really genuinely believe that we are in a fight against Russia right now. This is a proxy war. That's what we call these things. And unfortunately for the Ukrainian people, uh, they are the casualties. Uh, and so the cost of this war for us right now is economic in nature, uh, and it is Ukrainian lives, uh, and uh, minimally so, U.S. lives and involvement, although there have been casualties on our end as well. And uh, we are overextending ourselves. This is tangential now, but it, uh, we're overextending ourselves on the world stage while we destroy our military from within by uh, sowing seeds of division. And mm -hmm. we are bankrupting ourselves economically. And we've got a, a terrible border problem. And uh, that's understating it. And so the, the combination of things working against us right now um, is, is so daunting that um, even if we were to fix every one of those problems this month in February of 2024, we're going to um, reap the consequences of bad policy uh, and, and deliberate um, poor decision-making in, in many cases for years to come, both with military recruitment and retention, with the um, with this boom in uh, the illegal population in this country, uh, we have enemies of our of our country here um, now uh, within our own land, and um, we've weakened ourselves dramatically economically. And so, how do you fix those problems? Well, you need 
to get new leaders first off. But um, it's going to be a long road ahead if we're to salvage uh, our country from the situation we find ourselves in now. Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Lohmeyer. Folks, give him a follow on social media at Matthew Lohmeyer. Check out his website, MatthewLohmeyer.com, and definitely get a couple of copies of the book. Again, uh, the title on the book, Irresistible Revolution, Marxism's Goal of Conquest and the Unmaking of the American Military. Sir, you are a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. I appreciate you staying up late with us tonight. Thanks, Rich. You bet. And, of course, amigos, we're coming back to your calls and more, plus some funny Willis. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And I want to continue our discussion on Funny Willis. Funny Willis, of course, uh, is the DA in Atlanta, Georgia, who uh, indicted Donald Trump on criminal charges for RICO, racketeering, criminal uh, organized crime. I mean, just insane. Turns out she's the one that's now in the hot seat for her uh, um, misdeeds with uh, one of her employees. It turns out she was paying this guy cash to go on vacations with her after she got romantically involved. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I want to get back to that. Let me see where I left off. I played the short one, but there was one before that. 26. Let me find that on my cut sheet here. And all right. So, yeah, this is Fannie Willis at the trial today saying she will not allow any of you to mischaracterize her testimony. Check this out. Ma'am, you are mischaracterizing my testimony greatly. Um, I'm not going to allow you to mischaracterize my testimony. I know that I keep money in my house. The amounts of money I gave Mr. Wade, it was never that serious. I don't think I've ever handed him more than $2,500 in a reimbursement. So we're not talking about $20,000 in cash. I don't have $20,000 in cash right now. The most I ever gave him, I know I gave him $2,500 when we went to Belize because we went to one um, hotel and then we went to a second hotel. That $2,500 I actually gave him while we were still in Belize. I know that the Aruba trip, the one that you described with his mom, I think I gave him about $2,000 for that trip for like total. His mom Uh, went to Aruba with you? The Aruba trip. So I consider that to be one trip. So we got off of a cruise ship and then we went to Aruba, which is why I cannot remember is that the time that we had to stay in Miami to wait for the flight for Aruba. So I consider that one trip that we didn't like come back to Atlanta and leave. We went, we flew down to Miami. We got on a cruise ship. We spent a couple of days with his mama. We came back to Miami. When we came back to Miami, either that day or the next day, we flew to Aruba. We spent a few days in Aruba and we came back. That was really one trip. Even though we went two places, it was one trip. All right. Two places, one trip. That's funny. Willis, she's in the hot seat. She's got to explain how she's hanging out with her future mother-in-law paying for these trips 
handing him cash. She says, I don't remember giving him more than $2,500 in cash. Uh, wow. Uh, again, uh, again, if my girlfriend is listening, please um, pay me $2,500 to go on vacation with you. I'll take it. I promise I will. Anyway, listen to what Nathan Wade had to say. Uh, because he says for safety reasons, Fannie Willis limited her transactions and she paid cash for these trips. Check this out. I wanted to get into the, the charges on the, the car because so traveling with her um, is is a, is a task. You can probably imagine the attention that that happens. So for safety reasons, um, she would limit her transactions. Hold on a um, second. Hold on a second, Nathan Wade. Uh, you could imagine the attention that happens because of Funny Willis. Right now, she's a national headline, and people don't know who Funny Willis is, and they couldn't pick her out of a lineup. I know I couldn't. I'm listening to the audio. I've seen her on TV for two, uh, you know, three or four um, seconds at a time for these clips. I don't know who she is. You mean to tell me this woman walks through an airport and is mobbed by people like she's Taylor Swift, Kanye West, Justin Bieber, uh, Bad Bunny? There's no way that she's getting that kind of attention. Anyway, go ahead. I mean, imagine trying to walk through an airport or sit at a restaurant or do anything. Um, so th there was no there was no attempt to con conceal. It's a credit card. Everything is here. So and and. That's not what I asked. Okay. <laughs> um, what I asked was the charges for Belize in March 2023 on that credit card. Those are things you purchased to go with Miss with Miss Willis to Belize. Those are those are things that we booked with my card that yes. she paid. Yes. Yes. So those show up on your credit card. They do. And you're saying that she paid you cash to reimburse you for all of that. She did. And she paid you cash for both of your. Portions or just hers? Both. Okay, so that trip, Belize, just Belize. She paid you for everything on Belize. The entire trip. Okay. So the food, tattoo parlor, all that stuff, she paid for. I'm gonna. <coughs> I'm sorry, maybe the question. There was no, there, there was no tattoo parlor in Belize. The charges, there's a, there's a tattoo parlor on the charges. I, I'm not getting into what it was for. I'm just asking if everything that's on that card related to Belize. She paid you back for. She paid for you, yes, So there's Nathan Wade. She even paid for the tattoo. Look at that. Um, I got a tattoo on my last uh, vacation. Uh, um, can Funny Willis pay for that? I bendito. This is funny. Uh, you know, half the time that he's talking, I feel like uh, yelling embustero, which is liar in Spanish, right? And uh, or, or playing that clip that we have of Funny Willis where she says that is a lie. Can we hear that real quick? It is a lie. <laughs> Oh, we're going to have fun with this. Folks, stick around. We're coming right back. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America at night 
with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. So was the lover of Funny Willis, Nathan Wade, was he telling the truth? Was he lying? We don't know. Was Funny Willis telling the truth? It hmm. is a lie. <laughs> We're, we're going to see. Vamos a ver. Anyway, uh, I want to get your opinion on this, um, whether it's on this or on Jack Smith, the uh, special prosecutor in the Trump case, or Alvin Bragg, or any one of these phonies, fake phony fraud prosecutors that are trying to jail Trump. Uh, it seems like all of them have something to hide. Meanwhile, they're coming after El Trumpito and all this Magnus. Let's go to Jeff in Cody, Wyoming, K-P-O-W. Jeff, you're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hey, thank you very much. And, and like all of this weaponizing of federal agencies, um, I had the great fortune of living in Alaska for 27 years. And, and they... They right before the election, they prosecuted Ted Stevens and and all of those allegations were turned down, like refuted. Yeah, that was Jack Smith. He lost on the appeal. Yeah. Yeah. The Supreme Court said, uh, no, you're, you're full of it. Fake, phony, fraud. Jack Smith. Yeah. Never met a case. He actually won. So I'm confident all of those things that he's got going against Trump are just for show, just like they were for Stevens. They wanted to get him out, get him out of the way. Political dirt. Anyway, Jeff, uh, good call and excellent observation. Folks, Open Phone America is coming up right now. Get your calls in right now. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the third hour of the program this Thursday evening, uh, broadcasting live on the Westwood One Radio Network. Our phone number, if you want to join us, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. I want to give a quick thanks uh, and shout-out to all of the affiliates that carry this program live and all the affiliates overall as well. I mean, there's a, many great affiliates that carry us on uh, on a delay uh, later in the evening. Um, uh, but I think the ones that are carrying us live in particular, uh, because it allows the callers to call in while we're on the air, and we get to have a, this late-night national town hall conversation. And w- without that, we don't have that ability. You know, and as much as I love watching TV or, or even going on Twitter, um, that none of those things really happen in real time the way radio is happening in real time. I mean, you could monitor somebody's social media account and I guess take a look at the comments and see when something gets tweeted out or have a notification set up. But you're not really um, <clears throat> engaging uh, unless it's like one of those Twitter live uh, spaces. <clears throat> Excuse me. Cough button. 
And um, I, that's one of the beauties of this medium of, of uh, having a radio talk show and, and taking live calls from callers all across the country. So uh, I thank those, those um, very prescient radio stations that, that do that for having the foresight to you know, continue this dialogue. And those that don't, thank you for carrying us and consider putting us on live so that, you know, more people can join the conversation, making it more robust. And because I, I really enjoy that part of this. I want to get into a couple of different stories and some of them are national, some of them are local, just interesting things. There is a, um, a leftist philosophy professor that wonders if it's reasonable to even have children anymore in today's world. Now, this, to me, sounds like he is a student of AOC, all-out crazy, our least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who I like to call AOC, all-out crazy. Now, AOC, all-out crazy, she um, years ago said that she wasn't sure if we could even bring kids into this world anymore because of the threat of climate change. Well, guess what? Now there's a leftist professor that's saying the same exact thing, and I think this is pretty interesting stuff because no one ever, ever, ever in a million years that had kids ever took climate into consideration when they were family planning, right? Nobody's ever done this. It's never been a thing. If you can call here and tell me, look, I got kids when we were planning our family or not planning our family, we were like, look. Uh, you know, if I get pregnant, great. Um, we're, we're doing it because, you, you know, the climate's very stable. Right? No, nobody's ever done that. Nobody's ever planned their family around the climate. Some people do it based on their economic situation, but nobody does it based on climate because that's not what this is about. It's never been having a family's never been about climate. Honestly, having a family's never been about can I even afford to feed the kid? It's always been about legacy. It's, I mean, those are one of the things you have to do. And it may, you know, cross your mind at some point, you know, shoot, I'm going to have to have a full-time job or I'm going to have to, you know, get an extra job or we're both going to have to work or whatever the case is. But this is what families do every day. People always provide for their children, right? But there's a will, there's a way. That I believe. And I grew up really, really poor. Not poor enough for the projects. And maybe we might have been poor enough for the projects, but never tried to get in. And thank God we didn't because I wouldn't have wanted uh, I would not have wanted to grow up in the projects. But I can say this. <clears throat> and we had some friends. I had some friends uh, who lived uh, right across the street from um, Shell Bank Junior High School. And there were some projects right across from there. And, you know, not ideal, not not the type of place you want to live. But I will say this. I think it's crazy that this is even on the website studyfinds.org because there's a study in this now. And. They're actually um, looking at whether people should consider having children based on climate change. Absolute insanity. Anyway, uh, part of what this uh, article says here is that people born in the future stand to inherit a planet in the midst of a global ecological crisis. Now, what's the crisis? That the temperature has gone up or down and cooled a little bit or heated up a little bit, whichever way they want to argue. This is going to impact your, your your family to the point where you don't have one. We're going to be extinct as a people. And this is what you have to do, right? To test the, the argument, you've got to take it to its logical extreme and say, supposing you're right and everybody did what you're saying, could we continue? No, we would die. Right? If everybody stopped having kids because there's global warming or global cooling, well, then 
there's that. I mean, same thing, same arguments made if everybody decided to identify as a different sex other than the one that uh, God made them. Same thing. We would likely cease to exist pretty quickly. Uh, how many people can do in vitro and uh, that type of process? Not everybody, right? So it, it would quickly uh, diminish uh, the population. But anyway, um, the article goes on to say natural habitats are being decimated. The world's growing hotter and scientists fear we are experiencing the sixth math extinction event in the Earth's history. Of course, what option do you have but to become extinct if you're not procreating because you think that it's a little too hot? that the, the water level's encroaching or, or receding, one or the other. So I, I found this to be a very interesting article on a topic that I wanted to present to you all, the listeners, and ask, what are your thoughts on this? Because I think it's nuts. I think it's nuts. And did you, when you were planning your family, you know, turn to your spouse and say, honey, what's the weather? How's, how's the uh, global cooling situation? What's sea level looking like nowadays? Is it up or down? Okay, great. Then maybe we can try for twins. Like, nobody's doing it. I don't think anybody's ever done that. And uh, the article goes on to say that procreation is often viewed as a personal or a private choice that should not be scrutinized. Yeah, I agree with that. What you do, you're, you know, your body, your choice, right? However, it's a choice that affects others. Yeah, many, many choices that we make affect others. Uh, the parents, the children themselves, and the people who will inhabit the world alongside those children in the future. Thus, it's an appropriate topic for moral reflection. <laughs> Ay, bendito. The, the way that they inject themselves into absolutely everything. Right? So, because my kid will one day live on this planet, now I have some sort of moral reflection point that I must take into consideration when planning on having a child. You've got to be kidding me. I can guarantee you the person that wrote that sentence in this article is someone who's never had a child. That's all I could tell you. And I, I'm pretty sure I'm right. Because no person who's ever had a child would ever make such a silly statement. I mean, this is just, for lack of a better word, extraordinarily silly, poorly thought out, and lacking a lot of, um, of uh, critical thinking here. Anyway. So it says, so if you think you're obligated to do other activities to reduce the impact or your impact on the environment, you should limit your family size too. So limit your carbon footprint by not having babies that cry. In response, however, some people may argue that adding a single person to a planet of 8 billion cannot make a meaningful difference. According to this argument, one new person would constitute such a tiny percentage of the overall contribution to the climate change and other environmental problems that the impact would be morally negligible. <laughs> so just imagine that, actually having a conversation about whether it's morally negligible or morally impactful to have a child. Not whether you can provide a life for this child, but whether th this child, um, you know, is going to um, impact the carbon footprint or not. I just... Mind-boggling to me. Mind-boggling. Anyway, I want to get your thoughts on that and as well as everything else we're talking about tonight. The phone number again, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 
for Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. in live late night radio six years in a row it's rich valdez call now 833-4-VALDEZ that's 833-482-5337 833-4-VALDEZ that's valdez with an s all right amigos welcome back familia rich valdez keeping your company straight till 1 a.m eastern time and, of course, uh, fielding your calls from all over the country. We've got calls from Montana, from Oregon, from Arkansas, and more coming in as we speak as I'm broadcasting live from the New York area. 833-482-5337 is our phone number, 833-4-VALDES. And I want to go to Reese. Reese is calling from Roseburg, Oregon on KQEN. Reese, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Yeah, I was uh, hearing your story about the, uh moral thought process of having children today you know in the early 1900s there was a whole eugenics movement that sounded very similar to this and it was considered progressive then as well uh that was the era slightly before planned parenthood and the same people that were involved in eugenics moved into planned parenthood makes you wonder absolutely and you know a great point that you bring up there yeah this eugenics movement very big deal. And it, uh, it, it informed uh, the way for Margaret Sanger and those who started Planned Parenthood and the, the abortion movement and the, the sale of, of, you know, fetal body parts that they still use today for quote unquote research or whatever they use them for. And, <clears throat> and I say that skeptically because I just think how, how many infant body parts could you possibly need? And what type of research are we doing here? Uh, but it, it, uh, it, it was interesting then and, and there were so many things that that movement, uh, the eugenics movement, they also did a, a big um, trial on women in Puerto Rico where they, um, they, they were testing contraception. And many of these women with the contraceptives they were given during the trial uh, became infected and ended up dying and becoming very ill. And, um, you know, they, they never took credit for the bad parts. They just, you know, took credit for, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to help women here. Meanwhile, they were killing women. It was just fascinating, this, this eugenics movement. And you're right. When you hear, you know, um, philosophy professors, uh, left-leaning ones for sure, saying that they think that it's um, some sort of uh, moral, moral um, reflection point that we have, whether we have kids or not. I think that they're, it's a fair statement to say you should have a moral reflection before you consider having children, but not for the sake of climate change. And I'm not trying to minimize climate change, although I, I likely would. Uh, but if in this instance, I'm not. I, I'm saying it, it's just it's not that or anything else really doesn't matter. It's kind of like your decision with your family. There are people that have had, and you, you can agree or disagree with me on this one, Reese, but uh, 
I believe that people during the Civil War, during the Dark Ages, during the Spanish-American War, during the Iran-Iraq War, during uh, Operation Desert Storm, and every other conflict we've ever had in this country, they had kids, right? There are people having kids during wartime. Uh, I'm sure right now in Ukraine, there are people having kids while they're getting shelled by uh, Russia. I'm pretty sure that, that there are people having kids. They're not worried about the climate. They're worried about making their family bigger. They're worried about, I might die tomorrow. Let me leave behind my seed. Let me leave behind my legacy. Just uh, just extraordinarily silly to me and just so poorly thought out. And again, it's not that I just simply disagree. It's just I think that it's just a nonsensical argument, if you will. Uh, Reese, I think you, you, you bring up an excellent point. Now, let me ask you this. What's your thought on... Uh, Funny Willis, because Funny Willis is uh, on the hot seat in Georgia, and she brought all these uh, criminal charges against Trump for running a criminal organization, a RICO charge. Uh, Meanwhile, she's paying her boyfriend in cash to go on vacation with her, Reese. I think it's going to be hilarious to see the karma play out. Yeah, I I think you're right. I think uh, she's going to get laughed. I mean, at this point, I would say if I were her colleague, um, and we were in the same business here, I would, at this point, I'd be laughing at her going, oh, man, it doesn't look good for her. It's kind of over. You know, whether she bounces back from this or not, she doesn't really bounce back professionally. She's already lost her cool on the stand. She's been chastised by a judge. She's on the stand for misconduct, official misconduct, when she's taken, trying to take down a former president. It, it just, to me, it seems like amateur hour, and, uh, and she's the star of the show. So, Reese, thanks for the call. I appreciate you checking in with us. Call back anytime. Big shout out to everybody listening in Oregon. I know the Trailblazers are playing tonight, so hopefully you've got that on mute and you've got this show turned all the way up and you're calling in. 833-482-5337-8334. Valdez is the number. Uh, let us continue. We go to our buddy Joe. Joe is calling from Salem, Arkansas. K-S-A-R. Joey, what's up, my man? Hey, thanks. I got several things to say, but I'll be pretty quick. Listen, uh, people like OAC and uh, and the professor and their ilk, you know, uh, they don't want any children. More power to them. We don't need people like that in society. Uh, the American patriot are loving people and the people that love kids and stuff and want a future for them. You know, they need to have more as far as I'm concerned. And number two, you know, this, uh, this uh, Lieutenant Colonel Matthew uh, Longmire, uh, thank you for him. I tell you what, I enjoyed it. This is a sincere, patriotic man, and uh, I really like the way he uh, conveyed the message there. Thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. I, I enjoyed the interview as well. Oh, yeah. And uh, keep – now, this I found this tonight very entertaining um, and comedic in a way, but uh, keep this fanny story going. Uh, <laughs> this is getting hilarious. I mean, she's – Instead of thinking her a fool, she's opened her mouth now and told all the criminals in her neighborhood that she keeps quite a bit of cash, actually, in her home. (laughs) And then she's making other statements that are uh, letting people know, you know. Oh, yeah. uh, I I can only imagine that her Tinder account and all of her online dating profiles, uh, they're going to be ablaze with requests from people saying, you pay people to go on on trips with you? Sign me up. Who's not going to want to go on a trip and get the cash reimbursement? Especially when she says, I only gave them 2500 in cash, uh, as if that were some small amount. Uh, so good for you, Funny Willis. And, and Joe, yeah, I think you're, you're, you're spot on there. Uh, so I appreciate your thoughts on that. 
and on uh, Colonel Lohmeyer. And folks, uh, a big shout out to everybody on KSAR in Salem, Arkansas. And uh, we're going to continue with the rest of your calls. We got calls from Montana coming in and more. Again, the phone number is 833-4825-337-8334 Valdez. And also, if you um, are online, um, I post my um, my social media pretty much everywhere. Uh, Facebook, Truth Social, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, but most of my personal stuff, that you know, things that I think are silly, things that are you know not, that I normally don't talk a ton about on the show, um, I'll post that stuff on Instagram. So if you want to you know take a look at some of the photos on there, feel free. And uh, I just posted that photo that I mentioned uh, to each of you yesterday of my um, uh, Funko Pop. And uh, that's the uh, little figurine with the big head and uh, the headphones in his hand. I have my very own Funko Pop, and that's really cool. If you want to take a look, it's online. Don't go anywhere. Rich Valdez coming right back. goes welcome back america and i wanted to um play a a clip of audio yesterday uh congressman mike lawler he's been a guest on this program before and we've talked about a number of things some things you may agree with some things you may not agree with he was a big uh proponent of uh pushing out uh george santos and uh and other things uh throughout the last year there's been a lot of contentious um congressional uh topics this year and late last year but he was on cnn yesterday and um, making the case against illegal immigration. And I think it was a very effective one. I've got two clips of him. I'm going to play them for you. Check this out. It's funny. When we voted on H.R. 2 in the House, uh, every single Democrat voted against it. And it wasn't until uh, you know, late last year that Democrats in the Senate uh, finally decided to do anything about the border. Uh, so you know, spare us the, the gaslighting here. Uh, the, the reality is... Uh, that this crisis uh, is, is a crisis of the Democrats' own making at our southern border. Uh, Tom Swazi uh, ran a good campaign. He ran to the right, and he's somebody who has uh, presented himself as a centrist uh, over the course of his 30 years. Yeah, and, and so I'm not concerned about how this plays out in districts like mine, uh, in which you know any any number of polls. Uh, shows me uh, doing very well and uh, my favorability 29 points higher in my district uh, than the generic Republican. Okay, so, so you're not worried. You know, and and I, should note, I, I should note that bill that you're talking about they voted against. It's a lot of Trump-era immigration policies that it's not surprising Democrats voted against it. Yeah, but, but, but with, all taken, re- with all due respect, Caitlin, that they voted those, are the policies, those are the policies that actually brought down the border crossings. Joe Biden reversed those policies and border crossings exploded, which is why we're dealing with this catastrophe. So there you have it. Spare me the gaslighting, Caitlin Collins. 
And uh, he went on uh, in this back and forth with um, with Caitlin Collins on uh, CNN, uh, explaining that the border is way more important than George Santos. He's still hitting Santos. Listen to this. I got to ask you about something else, because I, I just on the point on the New York part of this specifically, uh, Semaphore is reporting that, that George Santos apparently texted you and the others in the New York delegation uh, who all voted to expel him, saying, I hope you guys are happy with this dismal performance and your $10 million for futile, futile BS cost the party. He said he looks forward to you losing due to your absolute hate-filled campaign to remove him from Congress. One, uh, were you on that group text? And two, did you respond to that? Uh, Caitlin, uh, yes, I was, and no, I didn't, because uh, George Santos is a waste of time. Uh, and so I really don't care what he has to say. Uh, he's no longer a member of Congress for good reason, uh, and we move on. Uh, but I want to go back to the border because that actually is important, unlike George Santos. Uh, the fact is that Democrats uh, in the state, in the U.S. Senate, Chuck Schumer, the Senate Majority Leader, had nothing to say or do on the border until late last year. So let me tell you, there is a lot going on at the border. They continue to transport these people straight across the country into different neighborhoods, mainly New York City lately. And it seems to only be getting worse. We'll get an update on that. Uh, We have a Fox report on that coming up in the next segment. But something that I want to talk about here with you all is... A, what's your thoughts on on this border issue? And B, should we uh, stop having kids for climate change? And for that matter, should we stop having kids because there's a border crisis, right? Or should we stop having kids because there's a fentanyl crisis? Or should we stop having kids? No. I think it's it's incumbent upon you to make life better so that your kids have a better shot at life, so they have a safer environment to grow up in and, and have a better and more peaceful and more loving childhood you don't just say i'm not going to have kids because there are challenges in life no you put on your 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 big boy pants and and you get it done anyway let's uh let's go to let's see where do we go let's go to jim pittsburgh pennsylvania kdka america's oldest radio station jim go right ahead you're on with rich valdez hey doing rich uh you know this special election in new york is i find it funny they have a cnn reporter who has an agenda with the question and trying to spin it to make it like, oh, I, I, I saw something today, and I, I, was, I, I, was, I was laughing, thinking to myself. They said, oh, this is going to be a big issue. Look what we did here in New York. Well, they had a guy, it appears that it was voting, according to what I heard, voting like a re- Republican in a primary in a special election. That's different than the general election. That, yeah. That's like thinking that we're, that's like thinking abortion is going to be a big issue because they do on a state election. They're going to get, they're going to get smoked. <laughs> okay. Immigration. Look at New Hampshire. What was it? Yeah. The biggest issue on their mind. Sure. And again, in New York City, people are getting robbed. People are getting beaten. The cops are getting beaten. I mean, <laughs> if if anybody's upset about immigration, it's going to be New Yorkers for sure. Uh, you've got homeless people that are upset about immigration in New York City. So, yeah, clearly that's going to be a top of mind issue that uh, I, I agree with you. Uh, it's it's, it's going to hurt them. And um, I, I don't know if they get that particular seat back because I think the, the damage from Sor- um, not Soros Santos was significant. But overall, I think you're going to see a whole lot of red because it's it's too late to turn back the hands of time. It's too late to put the toothpaste back in the tube. 
we have a massive problem in our country. I think people see it, they feel it, they understand it. And um, I was just looking at an article earlier today that the border crisis is the number one reason that people don't like Joe Biden. And, and this is in today's Washington Examiner. Um, they're saying that, you know, despite continued and growing inflation um, issues uh, hitting their wallets, more adults continue to cite the border as their top reason for disapproving of President Joe Biden. So clear to me, right? And this is, again, uh, they're basing this on the latest Gallup poll. Makes all the sense in the world. So I think you're onto something here, Jim. And um, what are your thoughts? Uh, you're going to postpone having children because of climate change? Oh, those idiots there on climate change, they were actually morons. They were in the, uh, what were they, in the uh, in the National Archives and to make a point of themselves and using red paint. Come on. Yeah, crazy. It's absolutely nuts what they do. And they did it um, with the uh, some other uh, climate terrorists. Did uh, They tried to, to do it to the Mona Lisa last year or the year before. A uh, very similar type of thing uh, where they try to destroy these, you know, old um, and um, expensive artifacts and whatnot in the name of climate change. I think it's in the name of crazy. But, Jim, great point. Thank you for the call from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, KDKA, America's oldest radio station. And, uh, folks, we're coming right back. The rest of your calls and more don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. We get back to your calls. Let's go to Todd in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, Let's see. We got uh, WGKA. Todd, go right ahead. Hey, Rich. uh, Thanks for taking my call. And I just want to say, um, you know, talk radio is the original social media. And I think you're doing a great job carrying on the tradition of Jim Bohannon and Rush Limbaugh and Paul Harvey. So great show. I love it every night. Thank you, Todd. I appreciate that. And what's on your mind tonight? Well, I was calling about, um, you know, Fanny Willis, uh, St. Fanny. And uh, <laughs> I watched the testimony today, and uh, it was uh, <laughs> it was pretty mind-blowing. It's pretty funny, right? But, That's why uh, we I call think, her Funny Willis on this show, Todd. Funny Willis. You know, it, I was just thinking that it could be a sitcom. <laughs> you know, they could take the Fulton County DA and make a sitcom out of it. But uh, it's it's really tragic, and, and and she's getting a little taste of what they've been giving Trump. So um, you know, all all the better. But I was struck by the fact that uh, you know she apparently out of the three prosecutors she's hired, I guess the good news is she's only you know giving cash payments and uh, dating one of them. So you know, there's <laughs> there's that. But uh, <laughs> you know, and but she made a statement about how she had to move out of her house because of all these death threats and she had to get a condo uh, and, and stay there, but she left her father behind. You know, I guess it wasn't dangerous for him or his kids. And uh, to me, that was just uh, 
another stunning revelation. You know, but, I don't um, understand all of that that talk that she's you know putting out there on that. I don't understand uh, how she's uh, such a huge celebrity. Um, I just don't see it. I, I, I really don't. I mean, maybe they should put video out there of her being accosted and harassed when she walks through an airport. Um, I, I know celebrities, act like real actual celebrities that walk through airports just fine. They throw on a ball cap and some glasses and, and nobody even knows who they are. And if somebody does, they take a picture and they keep it moving. So, yeah, I think she's making it up. Now, you're in Atlanta, Todd. Um, what's uh, what's the general consensus with um, what you're hearing about good old funny Willis? Well, um, I think that, you know, this is a, a, a deep blue city and, uh, you know, where I vote, the precinct where I vote was actually in the 2000 mules. So um, it, there's not, you know, there's not a lot of sympathy for Trump here. And uh, they think she's doing a great job. And, and the local media is really just covering up a lot of this stuff. Um, it, you know, just uh, it, it's really quite astounding. It's it's really kind of sad, too, because they're just so oblivious to, you know, how corrupt, you know, it, it turns out the only racketeers is, you know, in the DA's office. Right. It's we're right. She, with, with she seems to be the one that's leading the way on this. And, you know, Todd, the judge had to admonish her in the uh, trial today because she was getting so agitated. And um, listen to this. So in 2020, let's so you said 2019, 2020. Did Mr. Wade ever visit you at a place that you he resided? He has never been to my home in South Fulton. 2020 was before I knew that a phone call was going to be made and I was going to have to abandon my home. As a result thereof, he never visited, lived at, came to, or has seen South Fulton. You qualified that with your home in South Fulton. I'm That's asking, where I lived in 2020. In 2020, did he ever visit you at a place that you resided? Okay. I don't understand. You want to give me guys. In 2020, so I lived in South Fulton. Okay. That's the only place I lived in South Fulton. That's before I had to abandon my home, Judge. All right. And at my okay. home in We're South Fulton, Miss, I never, he never came there, okay? So if you don't so, come someplace, you can't live there. Miss Willis, that's, I'm going to have to caution you. That's, this is going to be my the first time I have to caution you. We have to listen to the questions as asked. And if this happens again and again, I'm going to have no choice but to strike your testimony. So... I need to break this down. This merchant's question, I believe, was uh, asking whether you lived anywhere other than South Fulton. I did not live anywhere but South Fulton, Georgia, in 2020. That is before I began my prosecution of this case, and I it was my plan to only live there. Did Mr. Wade ever visit you at the condo that you leased from Miss Yerby? He visited that condo, yes. He did? Yes. And it seems that was the question right from the beginning, right? But no, 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 no. She was too concerned with fighting, Todd. Um, these are your friends. These are your neighbors. I, I wish you the best with uh, Funny Willis. Todd, thanks for the call, my brother. I appreciate it. And when we look at this stuff with Funny Willis or global warming and the, um, the fact that people should not have children or the national security threats that we're facing or anything, you name it, forest fires, whatever, uh, carbon footprints, et cetera. There's so much out there that that we have to discuss, and none of those things would make me think twice about having a kid, right? I, I, I have two daughters. I, I love having two daughters, and I wouldn't not have two daughters for any one of those things, including, like, war. 
I wouldn't say, oh, my God, we're at war. I would say, you know, it's, it's, we can't be at war forever, you know, and I'm, I'm only getting older. So better have these kids now so I could still enjoy life once they're adults. And um, that's what I do now. They're a, a lot bigger. They're both in college. And um, life is good. Again, you get to enjoy life again. You know, it's not all about child rearing. Anyway, um, I'm going to take a quick pause coming back to Frank, Dave, Phil, Jim, and more that are coming in. 833-4825-337-8334 Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, let's go to Cherry Point, North Carolina, WTKF, and check in with Dave. Go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Thanks, Rich. I'm going to make this quick. It's the border security issue, and I'm going to give you a prediction here. And I want Congress to prove me wrong because we have 435 representatives up there. I keep calling Greg Murphy's office down here in the 3rd District saying, hey, I need him to be a voice. We need to do this. Every, and I'll tell you the prediction is that Congress, between now and the election, will come up with some little deal. And, and border security has become immigration reform. They're going to come up with something, and they're going to sell us out. And a lot of the illegals are going to be allowed to stay here. They're going to, they're going to say the border stays open, but only for the, you know all the things that we hear about. Border security is no longer an issue to Congress who can actually control it and they can make demands that Biden close the border or there's no more dollars for anything else until that gets done. They're not doing it. That's their job. Create and maintain a balanced budget. And and they've never done that. They Congress has not done their job in years. Yeah. Well, you know, Dave, I, I agree with you um, to a point. I think uh, Speaker Johnson has taken a principled stance in saying that McConnell could do what he wants, 95 billion, whatever, blah, blah, blah. It's not happening here. So I think as long as there's no border funding in um, or any type of border change, any border security, any action on the border, um, they're not going to OK the rest of the this 95 billion dollar bill. Now, do they hold true on that? I think they have to. Because there's a lot of wild cards in, in the House of Representatives that are just going to turn around and say, you know what, if you're not going to do it, Mike Johnson will find somebody who will and we'll get rid of you the way we got rid of McCarthy. And I think that that um, active measure, if you will, is going to hold things uh, tight the way it should. Dave, thank you for the prediction. Cherry Point, North Carolina, WTKF. Let's go to Phil Butte, Montana, KXTL. What's going on, brother? Hi, Rick. Hi, Rich. I just wanted to make a couple of quick comments on this climate change. If the ocean level is rising, why did Barack Hussein Obama buy beachfront property? And they should quit flying around in their private jets. I think you're right on, Phil. 
uh, 100% right. If that was such a concern, why do they do it? Why does John Kerry fly around in so many private jets, you know, not jump in the, the, the big jets like I do when I go away? I fly with another 200 people, right? Unbelievable, the nerve of these people. Big shout-out to KXTL, Butte, Montana. Let's go to Chicago, WGN, flagship over there. Big, 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 uh, big station. Jim, uh, what's on your mind? Hey, Rich. Fantastic. Uh, good to talk to you. I have uh, two comments. Yes, sir. One is on Mayorkas. I think um, all Senate, like uh, the people of each state should call their senators and urge them to uh, impeach Mayorkas and, because the people pick the politicians, not the politicians pick the people. And mm-hmm. the second thing is the, the carbon footprint. Um, the Democrats are using a hell of a, a lot of it because they're using newspapers, media, and whatnot over and over to cover. So that's a huge amount of energy, and uh, Dems are uh, guilty for Right, right. They're doing carbon. a lot more talking, right, than, than we are. <laughs> Good point. Uh, I agree with you, brother. Thank you for the call from Chicago. Big shout out to WGN, everybody that's listening overnight. I know we play on delay over there. Uh, call your call the uh, program director. Tell them you, you want us live. Anyway, thank you, everybody. Uh, great show tonight. I appreciate your thoughts. Frank in Montana, I owe you one. Couldn't get you on tonight. Hasta la próxima. Take care. Good night. And God bless you, America. I'm Rich Valdez. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.